What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone, and I do mean everyone, including those who are locked up and have lost their freedom, those who are immigrants. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door." Emma Lazarus wrote these lines in the new Colossus that are installed on the base of the Statue of Liberty in 1903. Now the new Colossus is the immigration prison problem that is hiding in plain sight. From the book jacket of Migrating to Prison, America's Obsession with Locking Up Immigrants, by today's guest, Cesar Garcia Hernandez, we learned that for most of America's history, we simply did not lock up people for migrating here. Yet, over the last 30 years, the federal and state governments have increasingly tapped their powers to incarcerate people accused of violating immigration laws. As a result, almost 400,000 people annually now spend time locked up pending the result of a civil or criminal immigration proceeding. Who knew that the number was this large before this? We are welcoming you this morning, Cesar Hernandez. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Diane. Thanks so much for the invitation. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You um, have burst a number of myths, and you've also um, created a very uh, textured description, because in order to answer the question of what has happened here, which was what my mind was breaking about, 400,000 people annually how has this happened? What you did in your book, Migrating to Prison, is you created an entire history of what has happened here. And it's very murky in terms of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, right? I mean, we would think in terms of um, Republican and Democratic administrations, no, it's a bipartisan issue, It's an issue that's across the board. I wondered if you could just, um, you are a law professor at the University of Denver who studies the intersection of criminal and immigration law. In 2019, you published Migrating to Prison, and your essays have appeared in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, The Guardian, Newsweek, Salon, and elsewhere. You've been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, National Public Radio, NBC News, Public Radio International, BBC, The Nation, Telemundo, Univision, and numerous other publications in the United States and around the world. You publish Crimmigration.com, a blog about the convergence of criminal and immigration law, and you've been a Fulbright Scholar in Slovenia, 
and served two terms on the American Bar Association Commission on Immigration. I wonder if you would um, kindly, after all of that mouthful, um, describe yourself today, the position that you find yourself in having published this important book. Yeah, well, I, I think of myself as, uh, as certainly as uh, an immigration scholar, as, a, as an immigration lawyer, um, and, and as a writer, but, but I think most importantly, I think of myself as, as a child of the, of the board. Um, I was born and raised in McAllen, Texas, which is um, a, a, a city about, about seven miles north of the Rio Grande River. It's very much a, a, a border community. Um, the population is uh, overwhelmingly uh, Mexican, certainly more so in the 1980s and 1990s when I was, when I was a child in, in that community. Um, my, uh, much of my family uh, is, is still in, in McAllen. I, I, I'm still uh, affiliated with a, uh, my family's, my brother's um, law firm. Um, that is based in in McAllen, and so and and and, and so that that um, that origin is is not past for me in in in, in any way. It is uh, very much um, the beginnings of the way in which I view the world and the way in which I view my my own position in the world. My very first introduction to law itself was through the form of the Border Patrol deciding. Uh, who among the people in my community could live with their families? Who could uh, go to work? This is this is a, a, a to, to this day um, very much a bi-national community where people cross the border um, for all kinds of mundane reasons: lunch, uh, church services, um, work, school, uh, what have you. It's, it it is it just comes with it comes with the territory, both in the, its literal and its metaphorical. Uh, sense. Um, so, so yes, I think of myself, uh, and, and I'm quite, um, quite um, honored to get to call myself a, a law professor, or, or to get to call myself a, a, a lawyer and a, and a writer. Um, but most fundamentally, I'm just this child of the borderlands um, who who has has lived his entire you know, four decades on this on this planet with the sense that there is something inherently arbitrary about. The division that exists um, between between in, in my my case the United States and, and Mexico um, that uh, plays out in, in in all kinds of meaningful ways, um, including the willingness of the U.S. government to lock up people who cross um, cross the 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 the, the border um, either without permission or who um, later um, might be might be here in violation of federal immigration law. Yeah, let's unpack that. Um, regarding your identity, you say basically there by the grace of God go you because your mother bore you in the United States. Um, so there's just that m- one iota of um, not survivor's guilt, but you did not have the arduous journey that many do to come to the United States. And, you know, I think that must have impacted your thinking in terms of wanting to give back or to be generous to a population that you were witnessing. Yeah, I think I think what 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 that does. Right? So, as you say, I was born in in, in McAllen in Texas. Um, but what that does is 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 it reminds me that I, I, I'm a U.S. citizen 
because of absolutely nothing I did. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I'm immune from deportation. I'm immune from being imprisoned by, by the Immigration and immigration Customs Enforcement Agency because of absolutely nothing I have accomplished in my 41 years on, on this earth. And now I, I like to think of myself as having made a meaningful, meaningful contribution to the United States. Um, and, and perhaps I can think of, of the way in which I interact with my friends or my family, the way I, 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 I help to train another generation of, of, of lawyers. Um, what, what, whatever it is, these are all things that I have, I have devoted energy to, time to, uh, my, my own, uh, my own um, uh, um, uh, sweat and, 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 and sometimes tears to. Um, but, but, but none of that um, it helps explain why it is that um, I'm free from worrying about whether ICE is going to lock me up. I'm free from worrying whether, whether ICE is going to, to ship me off to some other country um, that I may or may not have any, any connection to um, because of the fact that my mom uh, happened to be about seven miles north of the, the, the Rio Grande River um, in 1980 when I was born. And there's lots of people who look and, and, and act and, 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 and engage with the world in ways that are very much identical to the way in which I have, um, but who were not in the United States when their mothers uh, 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 or them, and that makes all the difference. And I talk about a number of these individuals, but one in particular stands out, Jerry Armijo, who was raised in the same South Texas uh, community that I was. Um, and after uh, high school, uh, when I went off to college, he went off to the U.S. Army and got deployed to um, to Iraq. And one day, he, as he was patrolling in a U.S. Army tank, um, the tank went over an IED, uh, and an improvised explosive device, device, and, and the bomb is just blasted through the bottom of the tank. It injured Jerry. He survived, but it injured him, uh, physically, but also caused him trauma, PTSD. And so he got sent back to Texas. And unfortunately, as is unfortunately not unusual, um, he ended up falling into drugs and eventually into the criminal justice system. And one day he, he got picked up by ICE. ICE uh, locked him up in a nearby uh, immigration prison. They were trying to deport him. Um, and this is a guy who, who in, in every way as a child looked like I did. He was just growing up in this fairly poor, overwhelmingly Mexican community. Um, mm-hmm. Only after I decided to go off to a fancy college, he decided to risk his life on and behalf serve of the our country. States. Yes, and serve serves, country and got injured yes. in the process. You know, there's something of a self-fulfilling prophecy to the whole idea of one um, group being targeted for oppression, because you know you're talking about the presence of the border patrol in your life, your young life. I mean, that is a marginalizing force, not everybody rises to the occasion with the resilience that you did and the determination and those of that of your brothers to, um, to practice immigration law. Some are defeated by it. So to, to some, the, just the, that sense of constantly being watched and surveyed um, and also just overly controlled and um, you, you know, you also have to wonder about the process of immigrating itself. Is it so labyrinthian that, you know, n- nobody can barely, you know, 
get through it. Um, you know, have we just created the barriers be, because we need to, because over the last 30 years, we've just gotten fearful. We, we need to have scapegoats. We need to create situations where, you know, th- this group is, is targeted as, for, for, as being fear-based um, in terms of our perspectives. I wondered about this in terms of your subtitle, which is America's obsession with locking up immigrants. Sub- obsession itself is defined as a persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an, on, an often unreasonable idea or feeling. It's not coincidental that you use that word, is it? No, not at all. Um, it is. It, 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 I, I, I chose the word obsession per, precisely because of the intense connotation um, that it has. The sense that 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 locking up people has has become the the go to solution for a, a host of. Of, of of social dilemmas um, that we face as a political community, uh, and and so while it's not unique um, uh, to to immigrants that that imprisonment is a uh, is a common uh, way in which in which they interact with um, with government officials, um, it, it certainly is um, it, it, it is uh, troubling, um, and uh, but 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 as an obsession, um, as that term suggests. Yeah, an obsession is just sort of a, it's, it's a psychological trick. Right? It's an effect um, that, that arises from, 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 from fear um, in, uh, in particular. Uh, so, and what that means is while it's, re- it's real, it's meaningful, um, it's not, it's not um, inextricable. Um, it's, it is something um, that uh, is born and, 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 and as a result is something that we can undo um, just the same as it was first, first, first created. And I'm hopeful that um, through conversations like these, um, we, can, we can collectively think about how to, how to unravel um, the situation that, that the United States currently finds itself in. You know, when I was growing up, my mother always um, said that the measure of a country was the value on, that they placed on human life. And then when I think about, you know, the image of the face-down father and daughter entwined in the Rio Grande, um, immigrants who are attempting to, um, to, to, you know, migrate to the United States, I think to myself, what is the value that we've placed now on human life? And when I look at this crucible of the obsession that you're discussing, um, is, in fact, the criminalization of drugs and, you know, which also impacts, obviously, the African-American community as well, is, is that sort of the cipher, you know, is that the, that's the alibi for locking everybody up if in, on one hand? The rest of it is kind of, bureaucratic stuff. I mean, how do these incarcerations actually occur? On what kinds of pretenses do they occur? Yeah, so um, there is the, 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 I think the most common um, uh, uh, assumption is that the only people who are, who are being locked up by immigration authorities are people who have no permission to be in the United States, so so somebody who who sneaks across the the, the Arizona desert 
um, in the middle of the night and, and gets caught by, by the Border Patrol. So that is certainly um, uh, true that the, those individuals um, can and, and, and are detained, uh, whether it's by the Border Patrol or whether it's by um, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. Um, but, but, but lots of people um, are, are being detained who have permission um, to, to be in the United States. Um, we can begin with asylum seekers. Um, so so the, the, the U.S. law, federal law that, that governs asylum, um, that sets out the, the parameters of who, who, who is eligible uh, for, for asylum in the United States, very clearly says that it does not matter uh, whether you are in the United States without the government's permission. Um, and, and that, of course, makes sense because, because asylum is supposed to be the, the safe harbor um, that protects people from persecution, um, from the risk of, of death. And the, the reality is that when you're fleeing from, a, from persecution, you know, sometimes you don't have the opportunity to carefully gather uh, records and apply for a passport and then apply for a visa and then buy a, uh, air, uh, uh, airplane ticket and then wait until, you know, your departure, your departure date. Um, quite the contrary, um, if, if, if death is knocking on the door, you jump out the window and mm-hmm. run for your, for your life. Um, and so, and so federal law actually it contemplates that op- that possibility, and 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 and, and lamentably, um, and we saw this uh, uh, increase during the Trump years. Um, the federal government has taken the position that those individuals ought to be detained, um, in large part because the, the Trump administration you know, viewed these as, as being you know, mostly scammers, so they were they were not legitimate asylum asylum seekers. But then there's other kinds of other people like Jerry. Um, now, mm-hmm. Gary, Gary Michael, the, the, the U.S. Um, uh, Army veteran, um, Gary um, was not a U.S. citizen. He is not a U.S. citizen. Um, uh, but he is a permanent resident. That is, he has a green card and has for, for, for decades um, he, since he was an a early teen. Um, and, um, and that's good enough for the, the U.S. Army and that's good enough for, for the, all of the branches of the military. Um, so that's good enough to sacrifice your life potentially on behalf of the United States, but it's not good enough for ICE. It's not good enough to keep you here if you, if you run into problems with the criminal justice system. Um, and we can say, well, you know, don't mess up. The reality right. is we are right. messed up. Yeah, no, it's really, um, it's such a conundrum and it's just such a contradiction that needs to be opened up and ironed out. We do need to stop for a commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to look at the intersection of immigration and criminality, but also economics, because prison housing of immigrants is big business. So don't go away. When we come back, we'll understand the hundreds of millions of dollars per year that are earned by American corporations to house immigrants. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Cesar Garcia Hernandez. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She writes press. 
is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cesar Garcia Hernandez, author of the book Migrating to Prison, America's Obsession with Locking Up Immigrants. It's a concise volume. It's a rich volume. It's eminently readable. And it's also unforgettable. The number of detentions, just to cite some statistics, and you please uh, chime in with us on this. Um, in the book, you talk about the over 7,000 uh, immigrants who perished in the Arizona desert. Currently, this is data from 2019, the federal government uh, reports that Texas has 14,481 immigrants incarcerated, Louisiana 4,415, Arizona 4,405, California over 4,000, Georgia over 3,000, and the five top states um, with the, um, in the U.S. with immigration detention per day. I can only imagine what's going on in these facilities with covid and then with the disaster in Texas with the emergency power outage and the situation there, um, why do I feel that this is an entirely, as you, as you so well put it, avoidable? I mean, we have computerization. We should be able to process people coming into the country without detaining them for months and even years at a time, it seems. What is the backstory? What is the subtext to this? Yeah, well, you're certainly right that, it, 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 that it's possible to, to um, uh, help people um, navigate the immigration legal process, the immigration law process, including the immigration court process, where these legal determinations are made um, without uh, imprisoning anyone. Um, the, in, in, um, in 2017, for example, the, the federal government actually issued a report um, about a pilot project um, that had involved a few hundred people um, and who, who were going through the immigration court process. And while they were going through that process, they were working with, um, with some uh, nonprofit organizations um, to, to help pair them up with lawyers, help pair them up with social workers, help pair, pair them up with case managers who would help, help individuals who navigate the logistics of, uh, of a high-stakes um, legal process. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the government found 
that um, that that as these individuals were going through that process with that support, ninety nine percent of them uh, showed up to all of their required uh, hearing dates. Ninety nine percent of them. Um, that's a it's a pretty astonishingly high uh, compliance rate. Yes. Um, the, 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 uh, the, the reality is that sometimes, even when people are locked up and they're in the custody of the immigration and comes to the enforcement agency, you know, sometimes ICE actually messes up and fails to bring somebody to their court date. You know, they just lose track of people, or you know, somebody they're short staffed that day because they they get somebody gets sick and so they don't have enough. Um, uh, people working in the facility. Um, so 99% is, you know, pretty much as good as it, as it gets. And these were all individuals who were out living in communities doing exactly what um, was being required of them and, um, and, and, and still appearing for their, for their um, court-mandated uh, processes. So, yeah, we can do it in an alternative. We just choose not to. And I think that's an important part of this, this of, of migrating to prison that I think I, I like to hammer away at because, because there's nothing inevitable about locking up uh, people who are not U.S. citizens because they might have violated immigration law. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice. It's a choice that we started to make in, 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 in large strides, uh, really beginning in the middle of the 1980s, um, when, uh, um, when, when large, large groups of, of people started coming to the United States um, from Central America. Um, during, as a result of the wars that were destabilizing the region, um, from Cuba, um, mm-hmm. as well, um, uh, most famously from the the port of Mariel um, in the early 1980s, um, and and just before then, actually, um, from Haiti as well. In the last years of that um, long-lived uh, uh, dictatorial regime of the Duvalier uh, family, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, and these were all people of color. These were all, yeah, Papa Doc and Baby Doc. Uh, and so these were all people of color um, and largely poor people of color. Uh, and, and so the Reagan administration really, really uh, turned it to, to imprisonment um, quite quickly um, and quite um, systematically. Um, and then, and, 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 and this is a moment in which um, we, we, uh, uh, we're well familiar with, um, the war on drugs was also mm-hmm. being developed by the Reagan administration. Um, but what's interesting is that it's not just the same moment in time, it's not even just the same um, presidential administration, it's actually the same pieces of legislation. So, so the same laws that Congress enacted in the early, I mean, in the mid-1980s and early 1990s that created what we now know as the, as the war on drugs and the phenomenon of incarceration that goes along with that, um, it's the same laws that actually create the foundation for for the immigration prison system that we have today. It's just it's it's it's, it's the exact same um, legislative enactments, and so I think with, with that, what that suggests that uh, uh, for prominent elected officials, presidents, members of Congress, um, you know, crime and immigration just got wrapped up together mm-hmm. uh, in the face of these of these poor people of color. Who were mm-hmm. who were making their, their way to the United States? It didn't really matter why. I mean, these were, some of these were people who were fleeing for fleeing political violence in 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 Salvador and and, and Guatemala and, and other mm-hmm. parts of, of Central America, or you know, political political um, dictatorships in in Haiti or Cuba. Um, and 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 unfortunately, that policy once it got created 
it, it started to grow and grow and grow and gain bipartisan support. And, um, and that bipartisan support has not, has not really wavered um, up until the present day. And we even had, you know, beloved figures, um, personally beloved figures like Barack Obama also, um, you know, adding to the numbers, which I thought was a really important myth to also also burst in your book because we de- we need to understand how systemic this is and that there is this intersection also with economics because according to federal government data, the GEO group receives more taxpayer dollars for immigration detention than any other ICE contractor. In fiscal year 2017, GEO group received $184 million followed by the Corrections Corporation of America Corps Civic that received $135 million for immigration detention-related service obligations. All of this sounds so entrenched, and I think we're meant to be cowed and intimidated by the numbers, by the sheer dimension of it, that we say to ourselves, well, we can't dismantle this. This is completely intractable. You know, but then... You look at a comment, a casual comment that I had heard um, President Biden talk about the other day in his town meeting and is, um, you know, the decriminalization of drugs and what kind of impact will that have in unraveling this problem, do you think? Yeah, yeah, actually, the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the less that we um, uh the criminal justice system, the less that we feed the immigration justice system that is built on top of that. Um, so, so to the extent that states and, uh, in particular are, are, um, are decriminalizing and legalizing, um, uh, drug offenses, um, that's just going to push fewer people, um, uh, into the criminal justice system, um, so that U.S. citizens and, and not. Um, and, 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 and we, we see that, um, um, uh, a large number um, of the people who um, are um, in the United States with the government's permission, people like, like Jerry, um, who are permanent residents, and who then find themselves in immigration problems are there because of drug activity. Um, but drug activity is treated as a crime rather than as a, as a medical uh, problem. And, and most of this is, is low-level possession um, uh, offenses, um, the kind of stuff that many of our were to, I mean, Denver, uh, I, I would literally need to... Uh, I mean, literally, I don't even have to leave the room in my house where I'm sitting to 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 see that low-level possession activity happening um, because I'm half a block away from the nearest dispensary, uh, and so the the, mm-hmm. the the regular flow of of traffic on the sidewalk uh, is from the dispensary and people people taking my wow, which I'm fully in favor of, um, but uh, but for lots of people. Um, that's the reason that for people who are not your citizens, that, that that exact activity happening in broad daylight right now um, is exactly the reason why they end up in immigration uh, prisons. Um, and uh, on top of that, um, so is just coming to the United States without the government's permission. It's actually a, it's actually a federal crime. It's been a federal crime since 1929. Um, um, it wasn't really prosecuted. It was just this crime that sat in the books, but prosecutors didn't really use it until the end of the administration of George W. Bush. Um, and then that picked up, that got uh, support under uh, President Obama um, and then mm-hmm. under President Trump um, as well. Um, and and those, th- those crimes are actually the single most commonly prosecuted um, type of, of crime 
in the federal court system nationwide. And that's been true going back to the Bush, the, w, the George W. Bush uh, administration. As the, the, the most common kind of crime that is getting prosecuted in federal courthouses today, mm-hmm. any, nationwide, is coming to the United States without the government's permission. And so that turns, that literally in the most, in the most little legal sense of the word, it turns migrants into criminals because it right. takes the act of migration and actually formally criminalizes it through the formal criminal justice system. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, these are, these are the kinds of, this is the kind of conduct that is really quite ordinary um, and largely is not particularly stigmatized anymore. Like, low-level marijuana possession, not really stigmatized, right? No. I mean, as I just said, it's happening out, outside my window right now. Um, coming to the United States without the government's permission. I mean, lots of us do things without asking the government for, for, for permission. Um, um, and certainly um, uh, uh, coming to the United States without the government's permission is, is, is in many quarters um, uh, I'm not, not particularly stigmatized. Well, I wonder about how um, free uh, Hispanic people and Latinos, Latinx uh, people, feel about, um, you know, people being persecuted, basically, for trying to enter the country. Maybe it's not stigmatizing, but it's psychologically damaging, right? I mean, there's a dominant um, submissive mindset in dehumanizing people who are arrested and locked down. Um, And there is a traumatizing element to it. I mean, then you want to understand why someone has to go and get their THC. I mean, or, you know, it's really, or CBT, it's, it's, there's an equation there. Um, And I, I just, you know, I wonder about the impact, psychic impact on even survivors of the process of, you know, their view of this country of themselves of their identities how is it impacted by all of this yeah so i think that the racial dimension of, of immigration imprisonment is is a really important one because um you know, we, if we look inside isis facilities and inside the border patrol facilities we, we see that the vast majority almost everyone um who's locked up in these facilities everything hails from 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 latin america um, whether it's Central America or Mexico or someplace else, but, but Latin America, um, and uh, uh, but 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 and certainly lots of people from Latin America are violating um, immigration law, or at least uh, suspected of violating immigration law. But, but, but the funny thing is that um, there's actually a lot of people from Western Europe um, that violate immigration law as well. They violate it in a slightly different way, though. Um, mm-hmm. the, from Latin America. Um, it's actually quite hard for 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 many people um, to come to the United States if you don't have the right um, educational level um, or or money. And those two things are are quite often uh, very related. And then the other option is families, but then those backlogs can go run for decades in some instances. Um, so it takes many many years. Um, and and if you don't have sort of the right family in the United States already, then there's just no option. Um, for for so so those people end up you know having end up end up uh, coming to the United States without the government's permission, but for Western Europeans, for Canadians, Australians, um, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's actually pretty easy um, to 
get the U.S. government to give you permission to come to the United States. Actually, you don't even have to request the U.S. government's permission. You just get a passport from your own country's government and an airplane mm-hmm. ticket, or you know, if you're Canadian, you, you know, drive over. Um, but that permission um, comes with an date. Is you're supposed to leave. Um, you're, you're supposed to come here for vacation or school, what have you, um, and then afterward you're supposed to leave. Well, it turns out that the, that the government actually publishes, the U.S. government actually publishes an annual report on the number of people who come to the United States with the government's permission and then don't leave. Um, and, and we see that actually tens of thousands of, of Western Europeans and Canadians simply do not leave. Um, that mm-hmm. is, they, when they're supposed to, that is, they start to violate immigration law. Well, the consequence for violating immigration law is the same, whether you do violate immigration law by you know, sneaking across the desert in the middle of the night, or if you fly here um, from, from Berlin, and then mm-hmm. you know, 10 years later, you're still here. Um, it's mm-hmm. deportation. It's imprisonment and deportation. But the reality is, we don't go after uh, uh, Western Europeans and, 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 and Canadians in the same way that we do people from, from Latin America. Um, and I think that's because of the, of the in, intense um, demonization that has, um, has been uh, attached to uh, migration, primarily from Latin America, but, 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 but also from other, other, other places that you know, are overwhelmingly um, uh, communities of, of color um, and poor people who are coming to, to mm-hmm. the United States. And what that means is that mm-hmm. you know, the rest of us, even, even somebody like me who is a U.S. citizen, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that dichotomy, the same dichotomy, it's not lost um, on, on, on us. And I think we, I think it, it is, it is, it's clear that, you know, this, 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 this tie that we, I, I have I, uh, to the United States, yeah, it feels, it feels better tenuous, right? The, right. the, the sense that I have to prove uh, to an immigration officer that I belong in this country, um, be, simply because, you know, I have, I have, a, I have, a, I have four names, um, four accents, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I rarely speak Spanish um, when I'm in by my house. When I'm out in public, mm-hmm. I don't really do that anymore um, since the pandemic started. But you know, back before yeah. the pandemic, hopefully after the pandemic, I'll be in public more often. And right. I actually, my family speaks Spanish. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you've actually landed upon the idea of vulnerable populations, populations that won't have a voice, that won't have representation, that don't have power. That is people of color. So um, I'm sitting here in my office and I'm looking at every uh, family photo and it, the it, they're all immigrants. I am an immigrant. So, you know, but I'm a European immigrant. And as you say, time and time and again, there is an arbitrary nature to all of this. And if we want to look at true vulnerability, let's look at the ICE uh, average age of detention, which is 30 years old. So immigrants are normally between 26 and 35. We have to take a commercial break right now, but let's leave it on that thought. Like it is the most vulnerable of the vulnerable that we're locking up. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. 
play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cesar Iquatumak Garcia Hernandez who has written the book, Migrating to Prison, America's Obsession with Locking Up Immigrants. It is eminently readable, it's passionately written, but it's also dispassionately told. It's completely accessible, and it's something that will give you a primer on the history of immigration, incarceration, something that has now been conjoined into the term crimigration, um, which is a term coined by law professor Juliet Stumpf, and it works perfectly to describe how immigration is criminalized, which you just touched on, um, and how we are somehow fearful. Um, I think we're afraid of losing control, and I think we also discriminate against have-nots. Um, you touched on that just before the break, Cesar. Let's talk about um, a flashpoint that even the Trump administration couldn't withstand, which was the separation of children from families and the isolation of children um, who are detained. How has this actually brought about some significant level of awareness to this issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the one of the upsides of the of the Trump administration's years and it was a series of, of nightmares. For immigrant communities, um, and frankly, you know, for for immigrants and lawyers, it's just a, a series of just like of mar- uh, marathons that consisted of a whole series of sprinting sprints. Um, it's just uh, it was it, it was exhausting. Um, but but I think one of the upsides is, is the amount of attention that was paid to some of the uh, to some of their policies because they were so extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the family separation policy was was is one is, is perhaps the, the 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 most notorious um, example of that is the sense that they were in some instances taking children quite literally out of the arms of their of their of their parents um, and, and 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 with no explanation of what was going to happen next um, or sometimes lies um, about what was going to happen next and that trauma is is unimaginable. To any of us who have never experienced something like that, um, but but of course, while we can't imagine the specifics, we can certainly imagine just how hor- horrible that must must be. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, 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 there's the silver lining, I suppose, is not 
necessarily in the backlash because um, uh, or the backtracking rather because the, the administration eventually sort of backtracked and 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 and, and sort of stopped uh, stopped doing that um, uh, to the same extent. Um, although although it took a while before they actually stopped doing that. Um, um, and so many other people were separated as well. But but I think this realization that you know, the federal government, as a matter of policy for all of us, has on a regular basis in, engaged in traumatic policing tactics mm-hmm. that instill terror mm-hmm. in, in, in human beings, um, in innocent human beings, um, the picture of innocence, right, in, these, in, in, in children. And... Um, and, and we can't um, uh, look away from that because it's happening in our name. It's happening on behalf of all of us who, who constitute this political community that we call the United States of America. And and so the, the, the hope is that we will continue, all of us will continue to have that critical eye um, toward, um, toward the federal immigration policies, whether they're being led by... Um, a Republican like like as abrasive as, as Donald Trump, or a Democrat who's as kind as uh, a Barack Obama was, or uh, a Joe Biden is. Um, yeah, the 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 manner in which um, we talk about immigration is certainly important, but the policies are are important as well. Um, and so I hope that that your your listeners will will you know continue to stay. Um, uh, on top of what's happening in the immigration policy realms um, and, and continue to engage with their elected officials and members of Congress and local elected officials who, who are often the key decision makers about whether there's an immigration prison in their, in their community um, uh, about whether um, they want to be the place in which families are locked up or they want to be the place in which parents have, are locked up after, after their kids are are taken away from them or they want to be the place that, you know, we turn to to lock up people who are going through the immigration court process when we have these alternatives that we know work. We just haven't been willing to support them financially uh, to, as in the same way that we're willing to support the, the GEO group um, that you mentioned earlier or the Core Civic, um, which is another of the big private prison companies. Well, you mentioned also that you've, finally took a look at your pension fund and asked yourself, wait a minute, am I, am I unwittingly contributing? Because prison, prison incarceration is big business. And unwittingly, a lot of these funds are funding. So, um, you know, that was, a, that was a discovery for you. And I think it's something that we also have to look at ourselves as individuals. And I think the other thing that you're really alluding to here is the convergence of, it's not that we want to defund the police, it's that we want to educate the police. The, the traumatic experience that police, um, you know, bestow on ordinary citizens in their interactions, that discourse, just it has to change. And I think the other thing that you cite in the book, which I'd like to get your take now on how much progress we, we, we can make, have made in the years since the book came out, is the idea of, of just um, providing the services that would create a different kind of self-fulfilling prophecy for these communities of uh, individuals who need red, 
representation, legal representation, um, orientation to this country, orientation as to the processes, how they work, um, you know, absolutely um, be, you know, aware of their rights in terms of keeping children together. Um, and how, how much progress has the legal services community been able to make as an inroad to helping immigrants, immigrants um, navigate all of this? Yeah, so the, the immigration legal services community uh, was, was under fire um, for the last four years. Um, and it's been almost a month uh, since, since Donald Trump um, finally um, uh, left, the, left the, the White House to decamp in, in Florida. Um, but uh, you know, in, in, in many ways, it feels like a long time ago. Um, but it's actually not. Um, and so the Biden administration is, it has, has implemented a, a, a host of, 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 of immigration um, policy shifts um, and, and some announced um, plans um, as well, including some that have already been caught up in the, in the legal process in, in court. Um, some of these are big, some of these are small. Um, so, but I think, I think right now there's, there, there's not much changed um, when it comes to um, the federal government's uh, ability to to support people going through the immigration uh, legal process, um, the uh, there there most of the people who are going through the process um, who are detained um, do not have legal representation, um, and and that's 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 enormous because um, lawyers um, first help help people figure out you know, do they have a a good good argument. To make, um, and if so, they you know make it as opposed to you know just you know having any ordinary person um, just go up there in front of a judge, face off against a, a prosecutor, and say, well, here's my legal argument. That's I mean that that doesn't take a lawyer. You know that's a bad idea. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that the uh, proposed immigration legislation that the Biden administration um, is backing, that Democrats uh, released um, just yesterday, actually. Um, does have uh, a, a, a language in there that would fund uh, legal representation for everyone who's going through the immigration court process. This, this would be a game changer if nothing, if no other piece of that 350-page document is actually made into law. If only that piece becomes law, that would be a game changer because that would ensure that everyone who is facing the possibility of of being locked up and being forcibly removed um, from the United States would 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 have have an advocate on their mm-hmm. side um, who's 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 sort of digging through the immigration law, the immigration code, which is a, a maze. It's a labyrinth, um, mm-hmm. and and trying to figure out is there is there a good claim uh, to to make here, and, and quite often uh, there is, uh, and so I'm hopeful. That um, at the very least, that 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 piece, um, uh, which would obviously have some significant budget budgetary implications for the federal government, um, mm-hmm. will make it through the legislative process and and land on 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 President Biden's uh, desk. Well, that would be exciting, and I hear the excitement in your voice over it. So we are going to um, have to close here in a couple of minutes. Um, I do want people to understand that this, you know, the prison system is widely recognized as being broken, and now we've converged it with the immigration system. So the um, 
place to find a lot of resources, and also Cesar, is um, crimmigration.com, which is C-R-I-M-M-I-G-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. Cesar, you welcome people to contact you and join in this movement to uh, volunteer, to help um, create awareness around uh, how immigrants are just held to an impossible standard and how to extend compassion. Any other words in the last uh, minute or so that we have with you that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'd love to love to um, take the opportunity to, to invite people to to reach out to me, whether it's through through email or social media. Um, but also also leave people with 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 with, a, with I think um, uh, the the perspective that I bring to this, which is. You know, this this can be a depressing um, topic. You know, thinking about locking up people, thinking about separating kids from 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 their parents. But I think if anything um, is is true about the history of the United States and the immigration history of the United States is that we're constantly reformulating, we're constantly reimagining um, the way in which we view ourselves as a political community, the way we we see ourselves interacting with our neighbors and and with our with our coworkers. Um, and I'm hopeful that we have not stopped. Um, that constant rejuvenation of our political community, um, and hopeful that we will, uh, uh, your, your, your listeners and you and, and I will, will be able to, to, to collectively, um, be part of, uh, reimagining the, 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 the United States, um, not of, of the 1950s or the 1990s, um, but, but of the, of the future that we hope, um, to give to, um, the generations that come after us. Perfect. And older people have more compassion for the suffering of others. Younger people are idealistic. Let's join hands in this. It is a systemic problem, but we could get there as a community. I just want to thank you very much for being with us, Cesar, and your book, Migrating to Prison, is wonderful contribution to our society. Thank you for being with us on Dropping In. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and recognize the stranger in us as we recognize the friend in strangers. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 